Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's a draw. Both the teams are even. They've split the points and now we're bound for home. Four quarters played, now the race is run. No one's lost, but no one's won. It's a draw. Both teams are even. (laughs) You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point, wow. The face, the gods are with the gods. Sanctum. How could we not come with a bit of poetry about the draw song to kick it off? I'm Emma Race and uh, joining me today to talk all things about footy are my leather football loving lady friends, <laughs> Alicia Sometimes. I oh love alliteration. Mm-hmm. I'm so pumped. So much gravitas oh, with that poem. A draw is a draw is a draw. We talked about it last week. We'll be talking about it this week. Can we go three from three? Yeah. <laughs> if it's three from three, we have to have the song. Lucy Race, how are you? Great. Happy to be here. How are you, Miss Nicole Hayes? I'm vaguely traumatised by that. I, the draws, you know how I feel about them. So mm. that reminder isn't helping at all. Thanks. We are down two crew members but they have been so replaced <laughs> by one solo person. Felicity is still out with osteitis pubis. And Kate, Dr. Kate, said to say that she's, um, what is she doing? She's supporting the case against Donald J. Trump. And she's also supporting Andy Murray um, at Wimbledon, which has not gone so well, I have to say. So hopefully she'll win with the Donald J. She's being um, a shoulder. She's being a shoulder for everyone in the world right now. But we are joined, um, and we are so lucky to be joined by a special guest for the melee. She's podcasting kin from This AFL Life. She's a coach and a woman whose commentary you may probably have enjoyed during the AFLW. It is Julia Kiara. How are you, Julia? I'm well. I was promised Richard Feidler, so I don't know who the manager boards are. Wrong um... studio, JC. Wrong studio. It's good to have an actual expert in with us today. Definitely. I'm definitely an expert. You're an expert in <laughs> podcasting. You're also an expert to listening to this podcast. That's true. You are our one and only fan. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice to have you here with us today. Because you're here, we're going to talk about some things to do with um, the VFL women's um, season. And also we've got we've got so many questions for you because, you know, you're a coach and everything. Oh, yeah. Um, but we want to kick it off because we cannot go past Omen Watch. Um, we're doing it on behalf of Kate Sear, who isn't here, so it will be crapper than usual. Mm. Um, That's but- fine. <laughs> it really is. But there was some omens during the last round. It's crazy. Lucy, do you want to kick us off? Well, I think we've alluded to the, the biggest omen, which is that GWS had another draw. So no. consecutive draws. And the last time that a team had consecutive draws, thank you, Twitter Hive Mind, was 1921. And it was Carlton. And that year, guess who won the flag? Carlton? No. Yellow and black. The Tigers. Mm. So in Kate's end of the world Tigers story, I think it's getting a little bit stronger, but something else happened in 1921, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which also alludes to some other things that have gone on during this week. Britain went behind the USA's back and did a deal with the USSR. Completing the circle this week. Completing the circle. So in the theme of people liaising with the Russians. Oh, my. Very interesting. So I'm not sure, without Kate, who now says she can predict the future, I'm not sure what it means for Richmond. But I think it means that Richmond win the premiership, 
but the world spontaneously combusts before we can all get to <laughs> Lenox Street to we'll celebrate and have a beer. Mm. Is that what's going to happen? Something Sounds like right. that. Yeah. Sounds right. So we did talk about the fact that there had been the double draw for the GWS, which is shocking and annoying because I actually really like this song. So <laughs> while they were playing the Hawks, I was like, oh, it's a win-win, really. Um, so we were, we were talking about the draw song last week, which Alicia kicked off um, this episode with. There was someone sent us, Jane sent us on email, a petition.org <laughs> that has been started. I think it was started a little while ago. She wants us to kick it back in um, for the draw song to be played at the end of Jordan Games. And it's a <laughs> Just, it's actually a great song. Like, <laughs> it's undeniable. Great. Yeah. Mm. So, well, maybe we'll push that barrow a little bit harder. But um, the thing that struck me during the end, the dying moments of that Hawthorne GWS game was how do you coach in those moments? And JC, given you're sitting here, you've probably got all the answers. Definitely. I've definitely got a lot of experience at AFLM coaching <laughs> level. <laughs> but you did see in that game how Hawthorne just managed to get it forward so quickly um, and it was just that last second they could have got it over the, the line. But um, I don't know, are we up or are we down? What What's the scenario? Well, okay, so we're down. By, we're down? We're down by one. Okay, we've well, got to get your best team on the field. I think there's been a bit of talk um, recently about how they do those constant rotations and if, you know, you've kicked a goal, you come off the ground, but you can't really do that with the last four or five minutes you've got to get your best team on the ground you've got to get your best midfielder best midfielders in the middle best ruck um best ruck up there so that's to start and you just got to bomb it forward at whatever cost and I think the opposition team will be just trying to sit on the ball trying to get stoppage after stoppage after stoppage and really uh exhaust you but you've got to score so you just got to Bomb it forward, do whatever you can, toe poke it forward. Is it fluky that it was um, Will Lankford who extracted that ball and kicked it? Because that's actually what he does. Mm. He's, he goes and gets his own ball and it doesn't always work when it comes off his boot. We don't ever really <laughs> know where that disposal is going to end up. Yeah. Um, but is that fluky or would that have been on purpose? I would have said, make room, let's get those in and under guys in there. I think at that level, I think they probably train for those situations and you're working with who's what um working with people's strengths so if that's what he does best they've probably got a few go-to people in that situation but um at, at division two northern football league <laughs> uh, we're just a bit more simple in what we what we need to do we just bomb it so you guys Torp don't it. train with a shot like with the clock up there and go right we're running a drill for the last 30 seconds of the game no not really i think um the best we can do is you know, let people know how much time there is left and um, get a few extra people behind yeah. the ball or in front of the ball and, and do that kind of thing. There was, um, I heard, because again, that North Melbourne Fremantle game was really close mm-hmm. and North were trying to, to run over the top. And I heard someone say that the changes with the third man up rule, they think disadvantages the team that's chasing. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? I think at that level it probably does because um, especially – who were the two teams? North it was and North Border. and Frio. And Frio. Is that when you you want to create a bit of chaos um, and you want your, the defending team, um, the team that's trying to hold on to the league, to be put under as much pressure as possible so that they make a mistake mm. or they let the ball through. And that third man up, you know, you bash the – you bash the ball forward, you make it a bit more unpredictable. So if you can't do that, then it's just, oh, both rucks go up, you don't get a proper clearance, mm. then we've got to do it again and we've got to do it again. Whereas the third man up is is the guy that can clear the ball out. So if mm. you take that away, then, yeah, it's much easier to defend. I love that you say that you want to create some chaos to mm. F some shit up. That's, <laughs> that's always my goal when I walk into a room. You know? <laughs> it's true. I've wondered if they put... Oh, I've always wondered whether they the coaches run out or they tell the runners to go out and they're talking about time. They're telling the mm. time over and over again how much time we've got left and whether it's like a herd of elephants. If the ball goes in their um, in their defensive side, they all run down one yep. side and then they all keep running. Is that just what you do or do you try and keep a few key players out, you know, wide? I think you try and keep a few key players out. But unfortunately, when you hear how much time has got left, how much time is left, you forget. Like, it stacks on. It stacks on. It becomes Oz kick. It becomes Oz kick. A bit of paddock footy. You need the little bibs that say forward, centre and back um, back on them. So, look, at, at that level, like, we've seen that where 
um, in lots of close games where there's a forward that's just hung out the back and then they get the clearance and then they're there. But, mm. um, yeah, if, you, if you're trying to defend a lead, there is a bit of that stacks on that we just got to um, shut the ball down. And we've seen, you know, some criticism of, I think, you know, Richmond lost that game earlier in the year where you just didn't think there was any time for them to lose it, but they did. It makes me think that defenders just always have to be the conservative, mm. not flashy, hard work, just get it done. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you the you know, the one that's trying to score, you get to be flashy, like, you know, create some chaos. Yeah, yeah. that's why defenders off. are the real football players. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> but but the whole I always thought defenders were the drummers. And the ruck the drummers. The drummers, you know, keep the beat going. That's a they good are point. so important. Yeah. Take them away. I got nothing. They came with the van. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, I just wonder, especially in that GWS Hawthorne game, I could not hear the siren. So no. would would that have had to because obviously they didn't count the last score, the, the mm. fist through. Would that have had to happen before? Because I know with the kick, it's it's when the kick finishes mm. that that's the end. So if if that happens before the siren, but with the fist through, do you know if it's a matter of whether, regardless of, so if the siren has to have happened before the ball was made contact, or it doesn't, it's dead anyway because it's only a fist. I think it's the same. I think a fist or a kick right. is the same, so but it it's not the before. siren. It's when the umpires heard it and they right. put their hands up to stop. But um, I, I think it's the same. But it's funny because I've always thought it was weird that you can kick the ball and that's the ball's still live oh, even yeah. though the siren's yeah. gone. But if you take a mark, then that kind of stops it. Like yes. it's, I don't, you get no. to start from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Are you appealing, Nicole? Totally. Yeah. yeah. That was ours. Hey, um, there was, it was weird that, that in that game there was a really significant height differential. The Giants <laughs> lived up to their name and um, Lucy was cooking something up while we were watching well, this game. And there was a bit of commentary watch that I think we can bring into this section where um, there were a few people standing tall. Mm. Um, I, she looks <laughs> at me. Nicole. I was going to say, yeah. no. You I think um, I think Patton stood tall <laughs> in the last quarter. He actually reminded me of a pylon from a bridge. They He's looked a, a few of them were just they're so tall. And I'd been talking to my dad a few weeks ago about height, and we'd been, you know, this is how we get our silly football chat. Thanks, Dad. Talking about how there could be, you know, how you have a salary cap. Mm. Hey, you could potentially have a height cap. <laughs> and so my thought was, does that mean that everyone gets to, you know, you can have, um, you know, 40 metres or 45 metres for a team. And so if your team is already close to that, if you're going to bring it, draft anyone else, they have to be below 160 centimetres. I'd be really valuable in that scenario, wouldn't but I? But then, no, my dad's idea was that you have a handicap system. So if there's more than, say, a 50 centimetre difference in the team, <laughs> someone gets an extra goal. So well, what's the height you're aiming for? Okay. It's not the moon. So what is well, it? Well, so I went and did the maths. Well, I didn't, but my son and his girlfriend did. So thanks, <laughs> little genius statisticians. Um so the team that Hawthorne fielded on the weekend was 4,133 centimetres tall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty I think tall. you can convert to metres at this point, can't we? No, because I can't do that on the fly. The Giants were 4,161 centimetres. So the difference was 28 centimetres. That's not that much, is it? No. But significant in a contest. It's a school ruler. That's it's a school nearly. ruler. Yeah. yeah. So that's actually huge. I think that's a lot in a contest. Yeah. Is what do you reckon? Unfair advantage. I don't advantage. know what you girls are talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you suggesting there's no science to this? I knew that that would happen. I just think it would happen this early in the conversation. Okay, so on Twitter this week, JC, given that we've got you here, I, yep. saw, this, um, I saw this Twitter exchange saying that next year VFL women's teams, or in the years to come, that VFL women's teams should and will be starting to align with AFL M teams, mm. um, and I was querying that, and I wanted to get your um, thoughts on it. Obviously, you are a coach and a former player and president of the Darabin Falcons Footy Club, mm-hmm. which is an all women's team, and they are not affiliated. You know, they're not like how the Box Hill Hawks are aligned with mm. Hawthorne or Geelong, or, Geelong mm. or you know the Sharks. Or are they? 
aligned with St Kilda? See, I don't know. Yeah, I think they no, are. Because I, I go like they're Seaford, all uh, Seaford, oh, okay. St Kilda have a relationship. I put all the sea animals together <laughs> and gave them all to St Kilda. Is that wrong? Uh, we're not doing it by mammals. Now they've got the no, dolphins. No, okay. So, what was your take on that? Is that something that ha- that has been top of mind at these local clubs? Um, yeah, I saw that tweet from um, Paul Amy saying that um, next year he expects that AFL Vic is moving to align teams with the VFL AFL clubs in a hub model. I'm not quite sure what he means by hub model. Um, look, I did a little bit of uh, fishing around yesterday. There's nothing specific coming out of AFL Victoria to VFL women's clubs that we have to, we have to align. Um, but certainly over the last few years, we've been told um, that you know, suggested to to form some relationships with uh, VFL clubs because we need to meet minimum standards. We've gone from being community footy to suddenly being uh, fielding a team in a VFL comp. So that means that we, we need to do certain things at a higher level. So we've got to have a physio, we've got to have better trainers, we've got to play on better grounds. You know, anyone who's come to watch a Darabin game knows that our little patch of grass on the creek isn't really a state league facility. So we've had to play a lot of games at uh, Northcote Park, which is a better ground. Um, so that's not new to us. We've been told over the last few years that we need to form those relationships. And, and it's it's really hard to, to think about how there would be a, a really strict model that would work the same for each VFL women's club with each uh, AFL VFL club, because everyone's in a different spot. You know, mm-hmm. Geelong, Football Club, you know, they've got their AFL team, their VFL team, and then their VFL women's. Box Hill's got, you know, the Hawks and Box Hill um, Hawks and then Box Hill women's. But, you know, Williamstown standalone, Coburg standalone. Um, there's a few that have that Sandringham, St Kilda thing going. So it's really hard to pair up clubs and, and I don't think that that's the expectation. But certainly over the next few years, the idea is that VFL women's, you know, the state league comp, uh, you know, players will be being played. It would be paid. It would be at a um, higher standard and so on. So some clubs need to work out how to actually do that. And so if we're forming relationships with VFL clubs, maybe that will help facilitate that. So this is being this is a very Victorian centric conversation. Obviously, interstate there would be a whole other um, range of um, permutations mm. and combinations, mm. I expect. But when they've only got they've got one offering, mm. you know, yeah. that's going into the uh, the AFLW or even two is not going to cover it, is it? No, or, no, yeah, no even, it's you not. know, in the next round. But so it's not imminent. That's what you're saying. It's not. It's not a hundred percent. No, I don't, I don't think next not... year that it's going to be the Diamond Creek Coburg Tigers or something. No. Um, no, it's not imminent. Um, the AFL Vic and VWFL before them is kind of each year, you know, a few extra standards have to be met um, and that's kind of been going for a few years. But with AFLW, it's kind of really kick-started a lot of stuff and, and I and I suspect that in a few months things will be a bit clearer um, and maybe what I say now won't won't make any sense. But, but things are changing very quickly in women's football. Yeah, but does, it, does that mean that the onus is on the, the clubs to um, – or the, the – the community clubs to step up, or are they getting support from the from the top down, like financial or um, ground support, like all of those things that are really a big issue for women's footy at the moment? Yeah, look, it's up to community clubs to make these partnerships and to get that support. So, um, you know, it's sitting down with a VFL affiliate and working out what what you can actually do for each other. Um, but the big thing, like in most things, is is how much money there Always. is to go around and. Um, Men, men at you know who are playing Division Six or something get paid often, and and that's just never happened in women's footy, and 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 the money that's around um, community men's footy doesn't has never really translated to women's footy. So mm. we've got to try and find a way to attract those people to our game, and and hopefully we will with what's happened with AFLW, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Oh, so I was go. just going to say, so in the same way that female footballers who are trying to make it at the highest level have had to be innovative about the way that they go about, you know, creating those pathways, (laughs) finding, carving out that space to be able to train, to be able to also work. Mm. It it actually trickles down to to all of the clubs as well, that you're going to have to find ways to be, to be innovative and creative and and, find a way. And I think we've, lots of women's clubs, not just talking about Mm. Darabin, have gotten away with it because really 
um, to play footy, to play good footy for women has been about um, opportunity, time on the ground, mm-hmm. good relationships, good coaching, which doesn't necessarily drain your bank balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been able to do that like women often do, just yeah. making the most with what they've got. And certainly at Darabin, you know, we don't have never had a lot of money but have had good resources because we've we've done what we could with attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, that's pretty much this whole <laughs> is our podcast too. Yeah. Really, isn't yeah. it? Well, I mean, not, not like the right attitude, mm, yeah, I should yeah. say. Um, so, you know, if, if we're entering a new frontier where players, you know, 18-year-old players coming up through want to be drafted, they want to get paid during the winter season and so on, That that's a different thing. Mm. And, um, you know, if you've got any spare million-dollar mm. checks going around, and I'm I sure guess, a community sure. women's if, club um, will take it. If the impost then comes on the club that you need to have a doctor and you need to have two physios and, and you know, whatever those frameworks that might come top down mm-hmm. to grassroots um, and community clubs, yeah. that they're the things that you're not going to have much control over. Yeah, in that's terms right. Of, you know, stuff that will cost money. Yeah, and some community clubs are going to make decisions either way, whether they're going to just continue to be community footy mm. um, and participating in their regional leagues or whether they do want to field leagues, uh, field teams in the top divisions and what that will mean. Mm. Um uh, but it's happening very quickly in, in women's footy. And, and women's footy is probably the most developed in Victoria compared to other places where they're still going to have to get up to speed mm-hmm. um, on this front. Mm. An interesting thing that I saw this week, just changing tack quickly, was KB came out on SEN and was saying one of his takes, I do love KB's takes. I'm thinking about bringing it in here, like NH's takes, right? <laughs> so um, was that... Um, is footy too physical for the female body? No. <laughs> Do you want right, any time we'll to think about it? Okay, we'll move on. Um, Daisy came back um, with a pretty... Daisy Pierce. Daisy Pierce. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> she came back um, with a fairly strong response and retort. And we were just talking a second ago, JC, about Cripsies being breaking bones constantly. No one says, oh, it's the male form. It's just too... It's way too heady That'd for be them. that Adam's rib problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, in response to, to what um, Kevin Bartlett said about is the game just too physical for the female body and he went to the conclusion that he thinks that just might be the case, Daisy made the point that injuries happen at all in all games and at all levels of society and that her take is that people just find it more confronting when females are injured by impact or physicality mm. and that it's because we're looking at things through a gender stereotype, that prism of, of gender and um, subconsciously we're more accepting of male injury. Um, I think it's really interesting when you're basing your whole take on talkback callers, anecdotal Story but yeah. playing, I just constantly got, I don't know if you ever got this, was about breast tissue. <laughs> so People every obsessed. time, because I'm not such a um, great player leading with my hands, I'm often a dunstall and take it on the chest and slap bang. It's and everyone would... Constantly say you get breast cancer, you will you will die. <laughs> based yeah. on what evidence? Exactly. Yeah. But this mm. is growing up all the time. Your breasts. Watch out for your boobs. It's, I love so that, that, that we don't know how boobs? to do that. Like how we don't know. We've we've had them for some years now that we know how to protect ourselves there, yeah. just like they do. They, I think men I think, think breasts that breasts are, the same are balls. Penises, yeah, they and think it's mm. the same as balls. It's not the same as balls. It's not the same. No, as balls. no. Look, last year I played. <laughs> I played a season. A fact. Oh lord. Yeah. I played a season of footy uh, after I'd had my son in December and I was breastfeeding at the time and I have to say it was not an issue. My boobs did not pop or, or spurt milk over the field. <laughs> inappropriately. Um, yeah, inappropriately. And if anything, I think that last year was my least in- injury fueled year. I think it was all those extra hormones, hormones. making my ligaments wow. nice and stretchy. Yeah. <laughs> Can you just finish that rant about your breast milk not exploding all over by saying, I'm JC and that's my take? <laughs> Go on, do it. I know you want to. I'm just saying that's my take. <laughs> so um, we talk. We often talk about um, bad behaviour in the outer, and we talk about bad behaviour generally around footy. Um, but this week was interesting. The Clayton Oliver situation with the um, one of the Blues supporters, um, one of those lippy Blues supporters. Look at you, JC. It was a really interesting um, moment. Clayton Oliver apologised to the fan. But from where I was sitting, it looked like the fan took him on. Yeah. Yeah? 
I oh, found yeah. it really like seeing. I know people hurl abuse um, from the crowd. I mean, we've seen it a lot, and I've grown up with it. And it never bothered me in the same way. But watching him eyeball um, Clayton Oliver, it was so aggressive. And I just think it's it kind of like he's treating him like he's not a person, as if he would do that if they mm. weren't on the field eye to eye like that. Um, and my thinking is that is exactly the sort of atmosphere that engenders that homophobic, racial, mm. all of those things that dehumanise players. Like they're celebrities, they're not real, they don't feel things. And that's, mm. I, yeah, Clayton Oliver, surely he couldn't win that one by, you know, he had it was in a no-win position, but still that was offensive and I'm happy to see the end of that. It took me back to the goodsy moment, I have to say. Mm. When you look around and look at someone in the in the crowd and look at them as if to say what just happened and then yep. you get hauled over the coals for mm. um, for having a human response. Mm. It's interesting because it's, it's so rare to see somebody in the crowd as an individual. Yep. Often we look at the crowd as, as a group and so there's protection I guess for people when you're part of the mob and part Mm. of that group and I think that was what was quite confronting is that you could see this person quite clearly and you could see the man next to him holding him back as well and and so it does raise that question of this was two people interacting um, Mm. one in the crowd and one on the field. Well it's just going to say it's like that time in uh, I think it was 1992 when I was protesting at Monash Uni against um, (laughs) Jeff Kennett right when he was uh, you know. President of Hawthorne. No (laughs) before that when he was uh, President President of the state yeah Premier of Victoria and there was was all like 50 people, 50 police with their shields and everything because there'd been a major protest the week before, but there was three of us. <laughs> and he walked past and I went, you smell. <laughs> and he looked at me and went, good one. Yeah. And that was it. And it was just that moment. It became real. It was me and him. And I all know, I could different. muster was you smell. Yeah. Is that really That's what you said? I thought you oh, yeah. made that PC for the pod. No. That's what you went with. I said you That's smell. Pretty with a smile on my face sometimes. You're hilarious. Um, someone who's doing amazing stuff in the outer is Damon Heppel. And a couple of weeks ago, um, Kate Sear sat down with him to have a chat. Enjoy it. So thanks very much, Jamin, for joining us on the Outer Sanctum podcast today. Pleasure to be here, Kate. Yeah, it's great. Um... I wanted to start off by just asking you to tell us a little bit about your story and your background. You and your brothers uh, grew up in the country, in mm-hmm. Victoria. Tell us what it was like and, and also what you know sport meant to you as kids. Yeah, totally. So we... Um so I'm the eldest of the three boys, the the Heppel brothers, yep. and um, and so we growing up in Langatha, uh, down in Country Vic, we grew up uh, in a really sporty family from the get go. Right. So my dad, he was a local sporting star, and mum was a local netball star, um, and so footy combined with netball come together and create three boys who are mad passionate about sport and. It was honestly one of the most competitive households you could ever imagine. <laughs> is it still a competitive household? It's still a super competitive household, except I've certainly had to uh, check my ego uh, because when your brother is the captain of the Essendon Football Club yep. um, and I try and compete in the domain of footy or even just physicality, yep. uh, I get a pretty humble uh, reality check. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure. Well, tell me, when you were young, I know I've read that you played a bit of footy yourself. Mm. Um, did you have aspirations to be an elite footballer or an elite sports person as well? Yeah, absolutely. From the moment I can like have my earliest memories of being you know, like five years old, all I ever aspired to do was be an elite level footballer. Yep. And that dream was very much alive up until 16. Uh, however, for me... And the tr- look, the truth is I'm probably a little bit too slow for my height. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was actually publicly declared by my dad on national radio oh. uh, when Dyson was playing in the state championships in the under-18s. Oh. Uh, however, the the thing that really held me back was a string of injuries, um, particularly knee injuries. So by the age of 16, I'd had three knee arthroscopes to remove cartilage. And then uh, 18, had my first knee Rico. Mm-hmm. 22, had my second one. And then... 23, my third knee, uh, my fourth knee arthroscope. So, oh, wow. Uh, my body was just not primed to take the uh, the rigors of, of Aussie rules, yet yep. um, I certainly found other ways to be to be fit and healthy. Yeah, and yeah. you found other ways to get into footy, right, and to do something in the football space, which is what we've come together to talk about.
about today. Yeah. So your brothers have gone on to play football, but you are um, and have been making for a number of years now an impact through footy in a different way. Tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea of developing a company, a business in the uh, sporting landscape, the sporting space that was designed to try and drive social change. This is Game Changers Australia. Yep. Tell us a bit about it and um, the genesis of it. For me, as I said, like growing up, I really did aspire to be the best sports person I could be and also the best leader. You know, I always gravitated towards various leadership roles, whether that was like SRC representative or, or house captain or, you know, the captain of the various football, basketball, netball teams that I represented. That was always a part of my journey. And for me, when I was 16, um, I got to the stage where I knew that if I was going to take my footy to the next level, I had to start training and playing with the seniors. And so... You know, as a as a sixteen year old, that was quite a big move because I was still mm-hmm. a you know still a boy trying to become a man and just work out my place within this um, quite a I guess hyper masculine community. Yep. And just really fit in. And when I began to spend time with these senior players, I was immediately challenged at a values level on the kinds of behaviours that were being modelled around me. Mm-hmm. And you know that was pretty overt homophobia, um, racism, sexism. And just and and like I guess a heavy alcohol and and drug taking culture, mm-hmm. and that was quite confronting for me in the sense that I was just inspired to be an athlete, and that wasn't congruent with right. uh, both the athlete that I wanted to become and also the man that I was um, that I was becoming. You know, at sixteen, uh, there was a particular incident that really kind of triggered a desire, a passion for leveraging the power of sport to create social change and actually creating culture change within sport. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was week two of, a, of the footy season, I should say. We're at a social function and Len Gather had recruited this star player from a club about an hour away. And he was a young fella, 21 years old, super charismatic. And I remember this very clearly. He was standing, this guy, he was standing up against the bar, his back was against the bar, and four of my mates were standing in front of him. And I was observing the conversation from about five metres away. I just noticed how enrolled my mates were as he was mm-hmm. as he was speaking. He reached into his pocket and then he pulled out four ecstasy pills. Mm-hmm. And each of my mates went in and took one. And in that moment, I was like, you know, I don't have any judgment of my friends in this moment because it was like, this is just like the, the pressure of that situation. And just, you know, that's kind of what's just being presented but it really did have me question what is the purpose of grassroots sporting clubs? Mm-hmm. You know, what is this actually all about if we have charismatic leaders such as this guy who'd come in, this 21-year-old fella, and that was the kind of culture that he was um, creating and instilling? Why does this even exist? At the time, I obviously wouldn't have been able to articulate it that way, but something inside me got really stirred up. Sport has brought so much for me in my character development, teaching me discipline and mateship and camaraderie and, you know, just how to have fun and, and work as a team. All of those all of those things sport brought me. That kind of stirred me up. Fast forward two years, I was the school captain of Lingath Secondary College and I was invited down onto a, a residential leadership development program that went for six days and that was hosted by YMCA Victoria. That was the first time in my life where I'd been taken out of my bubble of Lingatha and brought down into a space where I was introduced to 60 young leaders from all across Victoria and was facilitated through a week-long self-awareness, resilience and leadership development program by 12 extraordinary volunteers who just had a passion for developing leadership in young people. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no connection to the outside world, no Facebook, no internet, no newspaper, nothing. It was just pure connection. Something happened that week where I literally had a transformative experience. You know, for me, it was the first time I ever met someone who was gay, open, proud about it, my age. First time I ever met someone who was Muslim. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time I ever met someone who had depression and was happy to have that conversation. For me, I literally come away going, holy crap, like, have I been living under a rock? There is so much more going on in the world beyond the, 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 the world that I grew up in. I come back and I began to share about that experience with my mates. They basically, and they, and they said, mate, sounds like awesome thing for you, not for me. I'm like, oh, you don't get this. Like every person needs to experience something like this. And so it was in that moment that I recognized that, you know, what I'd really love to create is something similar to that where sport meets sport meets leadership and where we can literally facilitate leadership and resilience development in young people through sport and have ambassadors in clubs cultivating and creating the kind of culture that they want to see 
in local grassroots sport. An absolutely amazing story, Jamin. Just how, um, you know, the kind of power of ideas and, and what happens when you get the opportunity and the space to just reflect and think about what might be possible. Mm. And so you developed Game Changers. Tell me about the vision of that organisation and what it is that you're trying to achieve and what, what sort of work you've been doing over the last few years. Ultimately, Game Changers is about creating more inclusive and empowering grassroots sporting clubs. And it's teaching, it's enabling young people to have the skills, courage and character to reach their greatest human potential. Effectively, what we do is we run residential leadership camps, workshops and keynote speeches working with 14 to 30-year-olds, we refer to them as young people, to have them be the agents of change in their grassroots clubs. Mm -hmm. And so the way, I guess a lot of the work that we've done in the past primarily has revolved around our flagship program called Captain's Camp, which is a a three-and-a-half-month leadership program with two residential camps, Mm -hmm. a mental program, a community action project day, and a graduation. That program targets the captains of under-15 and under-16 sporting clubs from around Victoria and brings them together and uh, takes them on a transformative journey of them identifying their own authentic leadership and what kind of change they want to create in the world. From Captain's Camp, we have been able to create smaller programs that can address the specific needs of different sporting communities. Uh, We've done work with AFL Victoria with some of their young women in the under-16 age group. Uh, We do work with the Essendon Football Club and the community department supporting their Next Generation Academy programs all about developing leadership in multicultural and Indigenous youth. You know, we'll do work with just grassroots clubs so whether that's workshops with the leadership team of the Lengatha Netball Club mm-hmm. uh, and everything in between ultimately it's about yeah it really is about getting back to the heart of what sport really represents if we go back to the early 20th century a number of sports were created and specifically team sports were created in that time because sport was seen as a way of instilling strong character and community values in young people so they could grow up and be contributing community members. I, I really do believe in the essence of what you know sport is all about, coming back to that community-centric, values-driven uh, philosophy. Yet so much grassroots sport now, has, as sport has become more and more commercialised and it's become professional, I really see that it's kind of taken away from Mm -hmm. the essence of what sport is and how it becomes about premierships and it becomes about winning best and fairest and it becomes all about the 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 you know the gladiator kind of esque way in which we position um athletes game change is all about bringing it back to what what sport is really all about. Yeah, it's interesting because you're not the first guest that we've had on our show to talk to us about really amazing things that are happening at a grassroots level. Mm. A few weeks ago, we we had um, uh, Annie Nolan and uh, Alicia Leonard from the Darabin Football Club on talking about a Pride event that's being held in Hamilton and that's mm. a community um, event in a country town in a sense. But I'm interested to know, your brother is obviously the, the captain of the Essendon Football Club and you've taken on a leadership role as well. Mm. It seems like having this opportunity to go to that YMCA camp, if you like, when you were 18 was very formative and important to you. But maybe I'm wondering, I'm interested in whether there's something about your upbringing that led you boys, the Heppel brothers, to be interested in leadership and to be interested in these kind of bigger questions about social change and encouraging other people to become their very best selves and so on. Do you think there's something in, you know, did your parents instill this in you or where do you think it comes from? It's a good question. Um, I mean, I think, you know, my my mum uh, grew up as part of a, a very Catholic family and was always, and, and my Oma and Opa were very involved in the local community. And so I think there was always an element of, of contribution and service to community that was particularly, that particularly come through mum. Yeah. Um, and I think from a, a leadership side, my my dad was, he's, he's quite, he's very, quite stoic and, and quite, uh, you know, traditionally masculine um, in the way in which he goes about life and business. And in addition to that, you know, my dad was always a... He was always the coach of our junior footy teams. And so whether that was, I think, just through their modelling of, yeah. of just being in in the world and, and contributing so much to our lives, that undoubtedly had a massive impact on the way in which we show up and are inspired to contribute to our community. Yet I guess when we move into our... I, and I'm speaking for myself, when I moved into my teenage years, I began to get connected with some really inspiring people who did ask those bigger questions around what is what is best for our community and what are the ways in which we can create change. And, and I suppose being introduced to those kinds of people started to shift 
the nature of the conversation. And for me, as as you said, the a real transformation for me was um, on that camp. So you are obviously doing, I, I guess it sounds to me like you're doing something similar to what you saw your parents do, which is now trying to model similar behaviours for young people. Mm. Are you able to share with us any sort of inspirational moments that you've witnessed or experienced or been involved in through this work and some of the impact that you feel you might be having on the ripple effects of what the people you've been modelling and teaching are now doing in their local clubs or throughout the state? Game Change has been running for five years now. Um, and in that time, we've worked with uh, over 2,500 young people. I think what's been really exciting recently is we have brought together a, um, an extraordinary team of facilitators who we're training to be able to deliver our programs. We've got this team of 30 of which we have uh, 10 uh, past participants. And there's something really exciting about seeing their journey from participant and now stepping into facilitator and being able to create similar experiences and journeys of transformation for young people who are now becoming the age that they were when they did the program. Uh, but if I was going to get specific on a couple of um, yeah things that really stand out or events that really stand out, one is our um, the, the annual Community Action Project Day that we run as part of Captain's Camp. So the structure of that, all the participants on Captain's Camp would connect with their mentor and then enrol their peer group and their entire club to support them on a day of action. This would all happen on the same day for all of our participants. And what they would do is they would receive a, a video explaining the instructions of what they needed to do that day and it would be set up as a competition. And so at 9 a.m. On a, on a Sunday morning, generally in August, all the participants would be sitting in front of the computer, they'd receive the email, they'd open it up and there's the video. And the video would be telling them, right, you have six hours to collect as much second-hand sports gear and equipment as you possibly can from your local community and bring it all to get all back to this central location where we'll then pull all of these resources and all of those donated items will then be uh, transferred into disadvantaged communities across Australia uh, where they don't have a number of these sporting items. Oh, wow. And so in the last four years, uh, we've collected over 20,000 uh, donated sporting items, which have then been distributed to disadvantaged communities right here in Victoria, uh, up in Northern Territory in Indigenous communities, and also in New South Wales and Queensland. There's something quite powerful about the Community Action Project Day in the sense that it's an opportunity for our participants to really put into practice a lot of the leadership skills that they develop uh, as part of our program and also highlights the power of when a group of people come together with a shared mission and a shared vision, mm. um, what's possible. And also too, Jamin, without wanting to diminish in any way how sensational that is and the work that you're doing, it's also a very simple idea, isn't it, that any, anyone can um, understand and anyone has the power to, to implement change like this or to have a real impact in community through the most simple um, sort of small actions of generosity and kindness, which um, we've talked a lot about on this show, just how, how that can be achieved. Um, Talking about journeys and shifting gear a bit, tell us about your journey uh, as a football fan. Mm -hmm. You go for Essendon now, I, as I understand it, but yeah, you did I, tell me you didn't always go for Essendon. No, I didn't Is that go right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, so our whole family was mad Geelong, so we always grew up for going for the Cats. Um, and the story goes that my pa's brother uh, got invited to train with the Cats once, and therefore the entire Heppel family went for Geelong. And so from there, basically, as, as you know, they talk about Australians having, uh, you know, freedom of choice and being an empowered nation. Uh, <laughs> but I really do believe that you don't really have a choice in the footy team that you go for. You're kind of born and your colours are put on you and yeah. then that's that. That's so true. And so for me, yeah, Cats was it. And, you know, John Barnes, that was the, he was the player that I wanted to be, number six, the Ruckman. And, you know, the funny thing was, though, in 2000 and in the year 2000, Essendon won the flag. And um, Dyson had enough mates and enough, um, enough, enough pressure around him to actually drive to the city one day with uh, some family friends and then come back wearing Essendon gear. And I don't think I'd ever seen my dad so livid <laughs> in his life. And from that day, Dyson was kind of like, yeah, he, he was the Essendon man. Yep. And we were all still cats. Yes. And, um, you know, sure enough, eight years, yeah, he was 10, so eight years later, He's then drafted to the team that he barracked for. And, you know, over the course of a, um, for mum and dad, it was about two weeks. For me, it was two years. Um, our whole family 
transition across to the Bombers. Amazing. Yeah. Well, look, he's made a huge impact in that sphere and your other brother, Aaron, is also um, making an impact as well. But you're making an extraordinary impact in a really different way and I've loved hearing your story and what you're doing. It's sensational and um, I wish you all the very best with it, Jamin, going forward. We're going to follow what you're doing and I think there's some further developments that um, are going to unfold uh, over the next few months. So mm. congratulations. It's nice to have the uh, high-achieving Heppel brother on our show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, Jamin. Uh, too good. Thanks, Kate. Thanks to Damon Heppel for giving Katie his time. Applications for um, his captain, the captain's camp, which is one of his programs, close on the 18th of August. It's open now. That is something that would be awesome to do. He sounds like a cracking mm. sibling. You know, like... His brother is like the captain of Essendon. He probably gets heaps of kudos. I think there's another brother. So they're just breeding them strong over there. Unlike in our family where we've got a shit sibling. Yeah, she's not here. Yeah, so we can here. say that's for So we can slander her. Don't we get a vote on that? I think we should vote on who the shit sibling is in the races. Oh, I so wouldn't win that. <laughs> hey, um, okay, we got a couple of messages during the week, people asking us for welfare checks if we were okay. We're not going to make this too Hawthorne-centric. Mm. But Luke Hodge is hanging up his boots um, at the end of this season, whenever that may end. Um, at, he's got his 300th this weekend. Alicia, did you have a tribute for Luke I Hodge? I do. I have a poem, but it's not one of those serious kind of poems. Is it a limerick? <laughs> exactly. There was, was a young man called Hodge. <laughs> no, but this is my, my, my love letter to Hodgey. Mr. September, number 15, the warrior, finals master, boy from Colac. Selfless, four-time premiership player, three-time premiership captain, two-time Norm Smith medalist captain. Oh, my captain. <laughs> From that early highlighted top hair to the short sides and spiky front to the legend mane he dons now, he reads the game as if it was Tolstoy. <laughs> he envelopes the half-back flank to midfield like he's sending out fan mail. He wins the ball on the wing as if it was a first prize in a chicken best-in-show contest. He marks like he's taking a breezy Zumba class. When your posterior cruciate ligament hurt in 2012, we hurt too. <laughs> Pin a microphone on him on field and we see the inner hodgie. He said that he had talked crap, but when he triumphantly said... We need to keep squeezing up, Dimmer. He's gone back and get bets. We've left a big gap. We need to keep squeezing up. Keep squeezing, pushing numbers up. Hey, boys, remember, there's about two minutes to go. Let's be a bit smarter now. We knew. <laughs> he was a match game mastermind. That second quarter 2015 final against West Coast, you meant to kick that goal. You booted that banana as effortly as spooning a chocolate sundae. His best Saturdays add up to a year of awesome. No one else from 2002 onwards has polled in more than two Norm Smith medal counts. And Dangerfield said, it's almost like when the finals come, that's when Hodgie says, let's get cracking. Headlines on Hodgie speak for themselves. What's Luke Hodge's secret? Don't leave Hawthorne, Luke Hodge. Hawthorne do well in milestone games. Hodge's 300th game, there is only one general, and Luke Hodge reveals his fat hawk tattoo. <laughs> Google Luke Hodge and the next words are wife, super coach and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> he supports everyone on Twitter. He wrote, I can't believe people call at Joel Selwood 14 a soft or a ducky. He's hard as nails. Ducky was spelt with an E at the end, so it could be Duke or Duck, your call. <laughs> and quickly, 15 reasons why we love Hodgie. 15, his underarm hair. 14, his disposables are kissable. 13, his domination would make the US blush. 12, his luscious underarm hair. <laughs> 11, his punch at ball is like a soft, all-encompassing welcome punch in the ovaries. 10, his pressure is like a tight Sunday afternoon. Just seen my nana after a roast and she wants to beat me at Scrabble hug. Nine, his long, beautiful, bumper sticker worthy underarm hair. Eight, four premierships, period. Seven, his perfect underarm hair. Six, his tackles should be framed mid-tickle. Five, he went on Hot Wheels party tour. Four, he went on a Channel 7, Australia's greatest athlete. Three, those arms. Two, those hands. One, precision. He's not a fluke, Luke. Hodgie 300. Hodgie man, we heart you. Aww. Aww. 
can't you top know, that? You can't top that. It's pretty long. No. So. I do think, though, if anyone loves football, to just listen to that um, him mic'd up, that round 14 oh, wasn't it of him mic'd up was spectacular. There's a little package of it, and I highly recommend it. It's yep. hard to pick one. There was a little package that Hawthorne put out <laughs> about uh, of um, people congratulating Hodgie on his 300th game, and I'm going to be controversial here. I had a real issue with it. Why is <laughs> Why? that? Seven minutes. 17 men. Where were the women? Saying, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, no women? No Do women. only men like Luke Hodge? I think only men like Luke Hodge or only men's opinion of Luke Hodge is valuable. That was uh, my takeaway. I have a guess that they're all white men? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were they all at least Hawthorne supporters? No, one was your husband. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. I know Ridiculous. they weren't. Ridiculous. No, Danny thing, Green, yeah. um, you know, Stephen Quartermain. And I just, I don't know, I, I've it just made me feel a little bit like, oh, yeah. There's the unconscious bias. You know, there's no no female voices worthy of sending that. Where was my palm? Well, your yeah, palm really. should have been there. You know who else should have been there? How about Beck Goddard? Yeah. Yep. How about Lisa Alexander, who is massive Hawthorne massive fan. Hawthorne fan, awesome coach, heaps of people. What would you have said, Emma? So Steve Quartermain was that there. Was... What about Helen Kapalos? No, like... used to be number one ticket holder. Yeah. I thought That's female disappointing. ticket holder. I would have said Hodgie. Um, I love the way that you always organise the team when it's when there's only moments to go. If you're there, I feel kind of a sense of calm and I will really miss that and I'll probably get great more grey hairs because of that but what I will really miss is his kisses on Buddy. They are the best. I would just love to see him go out. Maybe one more kiss. I wouldn't mind seeing him kiss Buddy. I think we're playing the Swans in a couple of weeks. Who else would you like to see him kiss? I wouldn't mind seeing him kiss Joel Salwood this week. Dangerfield. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Yes. We've missed Stevie J, haven't we? Probably. Mm-hmm. I'd give him like extra bonus points if he managed to kiss a coach, either of the Scott brothers mm-hmm. or Rossi Lyon. <laughs> JC's throwing up in the corner. <laughs> I'd like to see something open mouthed, I think, with Jordan oh, yeah. Lewis or something. Oh, <laughs> hello. Okay. Oh. Why not? <laughs> yeah, you took us there. Hey, um, through adversity, people really show their character. Kudos to Nathan Buckley, who is on the hot plate at the moment, but he's really keeping his cool. Like he's really, mm-hmm. he's, I think he's doing his mother proud, don't you think? <laughs> I do. I think, uh, gosh, you see the you see the shark circling, don't you, mm-hmm. when a team's not doing well and who'd be a coach? Can you, I'm going to be controversial <laughs> really. here. I think he has handled himself incredibly well, but I think it is so dumb and I think they should absolutely, fight, uh, um, hit, they should get a new coach in now and have them warm up and get through the rest of this right off season and so that they're fresh for 2013. Sorry. I do love Bucks, but sentimentality doesn't fit here. JC? Uh, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I really dislike the mid-season coach yes, change. Yeah. I think it, it just unsettles everything. And I don't know what, what can really be achieved out of it. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a, a coach replace mid-season and, and the team bounce back from Alan it. Alan Joyce. I think, yeah. <laughs> all right. Won a premiership. That's all, right. all right. No, but I know what you're saying. But, but I think also that was, a, that was a Without. different era as well. Mm-hmm. I, I like that Collingwood have just come out and said that he's safe until the end mm-hmm. of the year and hopefully that speculation stops and he can just coach out the year and, the, you know, because coaches have a plan and, and something mm-hmm. that they've been trying to implement through the year and you chop and change up. I don't see the point of it. Like the 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 season's beyond saving, saving. Yeah. So let him finish what he started. How but, long does it take when once you've taken possession of a team? Mm-hmm. How long does it take for that team to be your team? Yeah, because I wonder are they going to just lose, like just not get any real value out of those first weeks of next season because they've got to start from scratch. I don't think so. Like mm. they have a very long preseason and they do lots of things to bond the group together. You know, and also in those AFLM teams, they have lots of you know, there's the head coach and then there's the line coaches and, and lots of different voices. So it's not going to be a complete overhaul of who, mm. who you know, who's running the show. Look, it's it's up to the individual coach. My team got together from <laughs> round one. <laughs> who's no. your team? Do, do, just, do, Division, Division two, two. The thirds yeah. at the Darwin Fox. No. Um, <laughs> See, I think you might be a bit sensitive about the coach position. I know. <laughs> I could be where you're too. coming from. We're asking the wrong person. <laughs> hey, there was a massive blowout on the weekend. I didn't mind seeing it because I thought from, from, you know, if you're going to fight like Maddie, why not? Like, heap it on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a beautiful display by the Saints. It was shocking and surprising for the Tigers, I thought. Should there be a mercy rule? You've been looking at this, Nicole. Yeah, there's a bit of talk about that. Um, it, it does ex- Well, there's not so much a mercy rule, but they don't have a lot of scoring in those very junior grades. Um, but there is talk in some of the uh, the different district comps for under 12 to under 16 to 
or for the mercy rule to be extended, um, there are different forms and different kind of theories about which way to do that, whether you cap at a certain margin or whether you just don't score. And I mean, they're, they're really, but there's been quite a bit of blowback from it. People are not so. Um, How do you do it though? Oh, do you know. put like up a net in front of the goals? And no. like, so. <laughs> I think you're allowed to keep playing. You know what you're doing, netball. Just don't count them. In netball, if it's a blowout, you take off your bibs and you throw them up in the air. Mm. And then what would ultimately happen? Switch sides, yeah. The ruck would end up being the full forward and the, you know. Percentage points count, though. And mercy just makes me think of something sexy. (laughs) It's not sexy, but do we need a safe word in football? Safe word. I do love that there were some comments, as there always are, that were pretty fabulous about how this is, um, you know, they blamed the Department of Education for this, even though this is entirely a football um, initiative. Somebody else blamed the justice system. (laughs) Because everyone's too soft on criminals. Have um, they blamed feminists yet? That, they haven't blamed the feminists, oh, but they did. There were lots of snowflake calls. Yeah. And oh, the blame Marxist, the my favourite's the Marxist communist indoctrination. There you go. Says it all, really. At least we've attributed blame to someone. Um, now, Karl Marx has got a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. Last week, Lucy went live with her Battle of Hastings 1066. <laughs> oh, that's my favourite scoreline. <laughs> Who knew it would be so resounding from the people? who wrote to us and told us some of their favourite score lines, <laughs> which is one of the most ridiculous sentences I've ever said. But um, 7749 gets a fair bit of love, uh, two twelve twenty four, and I think it's if it's times tables. If yeah, you can, 3927. There you go. People are loving I, that. Who even knew that that happened? I didn't even know that was a thing. No. Like, I mean, I knew there was some maths behind all of this, but... <laughs> Some people know football scores off by heart, but they're not great at maths. They just know mm. their footy scores. Yeah, exactly. So um, we shall now call that the Battle of Hastings Corner. Send us your favourite um, score lines if you see one this week pop up. And I will bring some historical perspective to it mm, because I'm all about history and English literature. I'm not about maths. All I care about <laughs> is that final number that my team is as bigger than yours. You know, someone else, someone else sent us something quite interesting on numbers this week is that... Um, some of the margins, there was one game was the margin was 37 points. There were two games where the margin was 67 points and then the draw, 97 points each. Seven keeps getting a run in. It's, which is Emma's lucky number. Which, But bringing us back to 17, 17. I think Uh-oh. it means the end of the world is nigh. I'm sorry to say, everyone. Before we finish up the show, I just wanted to get a little, a brief pricey of how the season is going for the VFL women's because Mm. it's been an interesting time for all of the AFLW players who've now gone back into their original system. A lot of them were injured for the first couple of weeks, couldn't play, exhausted and injured. Um, How's that all tracking um, this season? Yeah, look, it's it's hotting up. I think they started a bit later to give them a break after the summer comp. Um, And we're in round nine. Now, so last week we saw uh, Diamond Creek and Dar- uh, Diamond Creek and Melbourne Uni were on the top of the ladder. They played each other, and Diamond Creek uh, quite convincingly beat Melbourne Uni by forty-two points. So I've seen lots of things coming out saying Dymo are the uh, premiership favourites. They've uh, uncovered or uh, a, a young uh, forward called. Chloe Malloy, who's uh, leading the goal kickers, so they're going great guns. And they've also, you know, um, uh, attracted a few AFLW players over to their club as well uh, at the beginning of the season. So it's very interesting. There's, um, you know, Dymo's on top of the ladder with seven wins, one loss, but the next four teams are on six wins and two losses. So the, the, it's a top four in um, VFL, and so that fifth team is out of the top four, but they've they've on six wins, two losses. So it's Darab and Spurs, uh, Muggers and St Kilda. It's pretty mm. interesting. There's some good Open. games this weekend. Uh, Darab and playing Spurs, so it's two versus three and Muggers. Uh, playing the Sharks on Sunday, which is four versus five. So it's it's a lot more even uh, at the top end this year. Um, people are happy to see uh, Darabin not on top, as usual. <laughs> as Hawthorne supporters, you'd understand this yeah, type of thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've seen a bit of talk that Chloe Malloy might go number one in the draft. Yeah. So was that unexpected that, you know... She come from nowhere sort of a thing? Well, she's, a, she's an under-18 coming through. So, yeah, it's um, often, you know, really talented junior players, once they make the leap into senior women's footy, it takes them a little while to find their feet. It's bigger bodies. The game's a lot faster, um, whereas she's seemed to jump in really well. Mm. So it is a surprise in that, yeah, we don't, we don't always see the top-line under-18s players have a cracking first year, but she seems to... 
seems to be doing so. That's impressive. Well, one to definitely watch. Thank you so much for joining us today, JC. No worries. It's been nice to actually have some real footy brains in here. (laughs) Um, And if you want to catch more of what JC's throwing, (laughs) highly recommend that you do listen to this AFL Life. You guys back every – you're sporadic. Well, we're sporadic. We just feel like, you know, we don't want to contribute to that whole thing of just talking about crap. So (laughs) – um, it's never bothered us. <laughs> wow. Could I have some ice for that burn? Oh, it's so pointed. So when there's something to talk about, we put on a podcast, but otherwise we just lay right. low. That's all. <laughs> well, you're it's done so great then. that you came. <laughs> Shia. On the back of that, thanks. Don't let the door we hit you on the way We may be back next out. week or we may not. <laughs> thanks very much to um, everyone who's um, been uh, polling in our Twitter polls. Turns out that... No, not every junior club has the Tigers as their theme song. Um, But it was good to put it out there. So thanks for your feedback and we will catch you next week when I think we'll have a full forum back. JC definitely won't be here. (laughs) Enjoy the weekend and go footy. Bye. Bye.